0: Coming up on Telling the Odds, Ewan McGregor back his silence on the Kenobi series, Star Wars Squadron's reveal trailer is out, we're going to talk about it, and we review the now-completed Mandalorian doco series. All that and more coming up doing this until episode 9 of this podcast yeah (laughs) I didn't even notice. Have you been doing that every
1: episode? No, no, no. I okay. Sta- I started it last week. Yeah, I, uh, so.
0: a, a new episode with uh, episode four and episode yeah. five, the episode strikes back. That's right, we can go back
1: around and we get to
0: 11, 12, and 13, and then we can get to 27, 28, 29. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine what I'm going to do next yeah. week for Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Uh, how's your week been, Michael? Good. Uh, Preparing for a podcast yet again.
1: We're, we're all up and it'll be good. Yeah. With lots of actually, like, things during the week to talk about. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know,
0: previous weeks... We've like kind of had to like struggle to find some stuff, but uh, this week there's some actually it. like most of the time it's either news or but as, Here's uh, something that might be happening that's coming out. Yeah, but at this point, up until this point in the podcast, we've we haven't actually had something like visual yeah, that's reveals. been that's been released or revealed by uh, a Star Wars subsidiary like EA Games. We're gonna yeah. get into that shortly. Um, I was just telling Michael about the fact that because I've been very busy uh, with school this week. Uh, or uni this week, uh, I often have to put things on in the background uh, to, because, it's first of all, it breaks the silence that there would be otherwise and it needs to be something that I've seen a billion times that I can just quote from beginning to end. So I don't really need to pay attention to it but it's like a nice uh, mood lifter for something that can be pretty like oh I just wish they would this would stop, uh, so I watched the Clone Wars again. <laughs>
1: Very good choice. I didn't
0: I didn't watch the entirety of Clone Wars, but <laughs> you didn't go through all seven seasons. No 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 I didn't. But the but one thing I did do, which I was like it may surprise you that I've never even done it before, is I haven't actually watched it in chronological order. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of the Clone Wars episodes are out of order by mm. no fault of their own. People just can't animate in time sometimes. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah I think it was just more like certain prequels are created to like. Lead into stories after the fact, and yeah, but actually, but, well, this is the order. You know what I noticed
0: in. is because the first episode of Clone Wars starts out with like uh, an episode that comes halfway through season two, where they first meet Admiral yes. Trench or whatever. So yep. that is when the animation of Clone Wars really started to get good, yeah. But then, and then it gets back. but then it has to because it's it, cause it's not in chronological order the way in which yep. they release, it yes. goes back to like very early season one of Clone Wars. Oh. And I think you mentioned it a while ago to me off the air, yeah. Um, it's the arc of uh, when R two T two goes missing. Yes. And listen, I have the utmost of respect for Lucasfilm Animation. They have come so far. Dave Filoni is the god, but oh boy, the animation in some of those episodes.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, the the film has rough in a lot of bits. Oh yes. But you're. I think you're right. There is one episode in season one where it is so noticeable. Oh yeah. You can you can like visibly see like the.
0: Does it drop frames? I have yes, no idea. Yes, no, it does. It, it literally does. Because there's a, the, I, I was, like, because, I mean, yeah. I've got I a, a reasonably large TV where I was working, so I was able to yes. watch it on Disney Plus, and there were, like, close-up shots oh. of Captain Rex's face, yeah. where you, like, see his mouth moving, and I'm like, oh, good God. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but other than oh, that, good God, I still, what's wrong with him? <laughs> I still love Clone Wars. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, that's right. They, bra- they took a little to get into
1: their shoes, and then once they ran them, there were some tight fitting yeah. shoes. Great sidetrack for, for, with
0: this for the first. Great first uh, sidetrack for the first three minutes of the episode. Yeah. Uh, but when anyway, talking about Star Wars news. Yeah. Uh, let's get into our Star Wars, Star Wars, Wars news you know. bulletin because there's been a lot of cool stuff ha- that's happening. But before we do, let's just get into some very quick housekeeping for you guys who are listening. Sure. If you are listening, thank you so much because <laughs> yep. uh, we right, really so appreciate it. All- yeah, as we're a, grow- a small growing podcast, it's always very important to us when we like. It's almost like sad when I get to like, oh, it's at seventy plays, and I go after a couple of hours and I refresh the podcast feed, seventy one plays. Oh my god! Yes! <laughs> uh, but yeah, whatever. You so, that
1: one person who played it like way up to the back? You're our favorite fan. You made my day. Uh, I think it was me because I was listening you're better to listen than the
0: all car. of the rest of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, for those of you who don't know, or maybe you do know, uh, every time we do release a podcast, the time codes for each topic that we do talk about will be available in the description. Yes. Um, we're available on eight different platforms. that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Podcasts, Radio Public.
1: Now this is podcasting. Yeah, everywhere under
0: the sun. Uh, We're also available on YouTube. Uh, That the YouTube version of our episodes comes out on the Monday. This will be released on the Sunday. If you're listening to us now, Um, at twelve PM AEST, good old uh, Melbourne, and uh, yeah, and um, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, and uh, the the YouTube version will be released at the same time, twenty four hours later. Yes. As for our social media, there's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to uh, find us there. Always and uh, stay up like to date. everything. Because uh, we often release our thumbnails and like little clips yep. from the episode before you can watch the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and on any of those uh, platforms that you may be watching us on, make sure to rate us, comment on our uh, uh, episodes, and uh, leave a review, and uh, subscribe. Get
1: yeah, your weekly dose of Star Wars podcast news and fun.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, so... Our first uh, uh, point of interest, Michael, is something that uh, has enticed a lot of people very fast and that is the announcement and reveal and also gameplay trailer for the new uh, Star Wars game, Star Wars Squadrons. Now, I am so excited for this game because, uh, and I was talking to you about this uh, shortly before, is that... Um, if there's one thing that I love about uh, immersing myself in a Star Wars experience, it's the uh, idea of being a pilot. For sure. Because I, I feel yeah. like if I were to be a Star Wars character, I would want to be a crack pilot. Because I love the idea of piloting, probably because I love driving so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I've always enjoyed the idea of getting a, of getting to do that. Whenever I play Battlefront or Battlefront Two, mm. I always uh, am looking for the easiest way to end up in a cockpit. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I see. I understand. I think. That's definitely the strongest thing of it so far. Is it really does look like it's going to give you the full Star Wars like fighter pilot experience? Yeah, um, that's like that's pretty exciting. So I, this game
0: I, yeah. is uh, set in the New Republic. Yes. Uh, and it's going to uh, some cool little things that people might have noticed. People might have not. You might be a bit more of a hardcore Star Wars fan to notice these things. But Wedge Antilles makes an appearance, which yeah. is great. Harrison Dula is in it, which yeah, is great. So, so they're both going to be. Uh, I mean, I can, I can assume. Probably two of the greatest. Uh, re- the Rebel Rebellion pilots. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I can assume that because this is going to involve a single player campaign, that they're going to be um, involved because, because oh, cool. in the gameplay trailer, you see Harrison Dooley giving the Vanguard uh, squadron uh, basically their, their their information, what they are going to have to do. Yeah. Which is uh, which is interesting. So. Um, If we wanted to get into the synopsis that was given to us in the gameplay trailer, we can sort of go through it gradually and and, uh, offer up our thoughts. Sure. So it says that we'll be able to earn our wings in a single-player story spanning two factions, and master multiplayer battles as a squadron of five. With the option to play the entire game in VR, this is the definitive Star Wars experience. The idea of playing Star Wars piloting experience, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, The idea of playing in VR is something that I cannot wait for.
1: I think I think that's true. They're definitely leaning into it being the definitive Star Wars pilot experience, which is pretty much like with the VR side of it, with the whole like like first person view from the cockpit, with all the things you have to manage and being a pilot. That's definitely the thing that like best like I think is gonna is best interesting most interesting to me with this game. And so that's
0: that's really interesting that side. Yeah. Uh, you'll begin your career in a single player story where you'll play as two combat pilots flying for both the Empire and the New Republic as the characters Case Cassandora and Rao Highmoon, respectively. Those are some
1: great names. Those are some
0: cool names. Um <laughs> I think I'm, I'm excited for this mainly because and we were talking about this shortly before we, we came on, is that something like with Battlefront Two Say what you will about Battlefront 2 is uh, the single player campaign, uh, whether you like it or you don't. Um, we were so, I was sort of getting excited for a character where you would get to play them as yeah. a member of the Empire or what yeah. was left of them after the, uh, the Battle of Endor. I, I um,
1: agree. I, think I, I, definitely, I, I really liked the Battlefront 2 campaign for some different reasons than a lot of people did. But for sure, they definitely did build it up. Implying it was going to be an Empire story where you play as the bad guys, and then like two or three missions in, whoop! Suddenly we're traitors and we go and join the rebellion. We
0: defect into the uh, Spoilers, into the rebellion. Apparently. Yeah, which is uh, which is interesting. So I feel like getting to play basically. I'm not sure if this is what it means, but basically like half and half. Hopefully. playing as what is going to be the Vanguard Squadron for the Rebels and the Titan Squadron yeah. for the Empire, or what's left yeah. of that. Could you
1: imagine if they did another cop-out, where it's like, you're doing half and half on the sides, oh, God, and then I the final know. mission, you're like, actually, we're not too bad, we're, not, we're good friends. And then they join in one squadron against the final Empire, and be like,
0: what? No! <laughs> well, the, the the cool thing about, you know, uh, something that, in the, in the spirit of what's happening now in all avenues of Star Wars, yeah. is that they've really learnt from their mistakes. I, I feel like uh, that happened a lot from uh, transcend, uh, you know transitioning from the sequel trilogy to the Mandalorian, yep. and now we're going to see a a favorable transition from their shortcomings in uh, Battlefront and Battlefront Two into what I think is going to be a well formed game in Squadrons. Now, we oh. we were talking about this shortly before we we started, and you were uh, you know <laughs> I have some appreh- reservations, apprehensive. I, I don't mean, know. I
1: I've just learned to be quite skeptical of. Uh, EA's Star Wars games. Yeah, I know. Just I mean, in terms of uh, look, I'm sure Fallen Order is great. I haven't actually got to play Fallen Order yet. I think at some point we'll have to both check it out and do an episode on that. Specific yeah,
0: no, thing. I have played Fallen Order, and I've played, and I've uh, well, before I played Fallen Order, I watched the entirety of the yeah. gameplay movie. Exactly. <laughs> I, I like that. I like doing that stuff, but I have played it a lot. And um, I don't own it. I was playing it at a mate's house, but yes. um the gameplay is great, yeah. and the world that they constructed in that gap between three and four yeah. was great because that, exactly. that, yeah. So that, I think what I, so what
1: I was I was saying is I think yeah fallen order does work well and but I think it also does take more than one game to like ch- to like show a change to like actually get some sort of trust back. because I agree it's just with battlefront 2 it was just so poorly mishandled and um to poor so poorly handled so mishandled I don't know um, it's just like the gameplay itself, I actually, I actually quite like both the original Battlefront that EA did in twenty fifteen and Battlefront two. I know a bit controversial, but I just feel like so many poor choices on the behalf of EA, not inside the game, but just like in a, in a uh, company sense, whether it's just trying to like get every single dollar they can out microtransactions, yeah, yeah, but also like, and also just like low content, like especially the first game, felt like they did the bare skeleton of a game. 2015? 2015's yeah, Battlefront? 2015. Yeah, yeah. Tried to sell you that, and then years later actually released the rest of the game with, like, a sequel. And I don't know, I just... Seeing this trailer, seeing how it seems to be... Like, while there is a single-player campaign... It seems like it's almost entirely built off the multiplayer. I'm just seeing so many red flags of ways that EA could really stuff this up.
0: I, I understand. Um, Look, I did see a post. I think it was like on Star Wars' Instagram page or something. Mm. And they were swiping. I was like swiping through. And they were releasing a little bit of information that wasn't uh, you know, put into the, the reveal trailer. And they said that they are going to stave off microtransactions. Yeah. And that there won't be any. Now... Like in I'm, one like, sense,
1: that's good. But I
0: I I understand yeah. what you're saying. Like you have sort of, they've sort of put you in a position where you've sort of, they've sort of made it hard to um to to trust that. Yeah, and, and because that because they actually did say uh, like you know something of that ilk for Battlefront Two. Yeah, they said is, that they they said that a, not a lot of that was going to happen in Battlefront Two, and well, that's all it was. Pretty much the most of
1: any game that's been in recent Yeah, besides like gotchas on the forums, but yeah. Yeah, look,
0: I feel like in the state that Star Wars is in now, they. I have no reason to believe that their integrity would be any less than what they say it is. Right. So I feel I, I can trust that this is what that's that's what's going to happen because, I'm, like I said, yeah. I feel like they would have been able to to learn from right. the uh, the criticism like that they got for Battlefront too. So I'm in a I'm in I'm in a good headspace. But I understand completely yeah. what you're saying in that there are a lot of red flags yeah. that could I'm lead us downhill quickly.
1: I'm just more I'm just more saying that like the the business model that EA gets like EA as a company makes crazy money off of a very few of their games, Hell and their entire business model, while yes they do make some money off selling good games, and I'm sure Fallen Order has been shown that that can be successful They their business model is, is always to try and get their games to be successful which then they can milk their player base for years to come, and I just, especially considering how multiplayer focused this is, like Fallen Order it would be very hard for them to do that, and so that's why I think that was successful. But I, I could easily see this game, like, a couple of years down the line, just getting more and more egregious. I don't know. I just have my reservations. I think, by far and away, the the piloting and the VR side and all that gameplay looks interesting, but I personally... There are things I'm more excited about in Star Wars Universe to come than this, but I'm sure I'll check it out when it comes out.
0: Yeah, um, I think that... Uh, from the uh, fundamentals of the game specifically, like the yeah. things that they released the game itself
1: looks in fun. the they gameplay
0: can... trailer. Yeah. Some of the stuff that they were talking about, how you know uh, the, the instrumentation that you would often find yeah. in a video game exactly. is actually going to be presented in front of you in the yeah. screens that you would actually have in a, a copy. A really
1: unique u- user interface. I think that, that, that that's exciting. That is awesome. In a game dev- development sense, in the actual game itself, that looks really cool. I just have some reservations about the way that game, the the outside company and the outside things of the game. As a Star Wars product and as the actual game itself, I'm sure will be lots of fun.
0: Yeah, something that I'm really excited for uh, for the game, uh, regardless of the things that we've been talking about, is uh, the way that it's really, it's, it really sounds like it's going to be um, uh, player orientated because the thing that yeah. I'm really excited for uh, was one of the last modes that they were talking about which is um, uh, fleet modes yeah, which, which has three stages it starts out yeah. as like a five on five dogfight, and then you move on to the next phase where you have to take out two capital ships and then you go for the flagship which mm-hmm. would hypothetically be either uh, like a, an MC-80 for the rebels or a Star Destroyer for the Empire
1: Yeah, I, I, so I played a lot of Battlefront and Battlefront 2 and so in their Starfighter modes they were pretty much all similar kind of multi-stage things, and yeah. they were interesting. Personally, I would have preferred just a thing more more similar in vein to the original, Battlefront 2 from, like, 2008 or 5 or whenever it came out. Oh, God, I love, was those. I love those games. Basically, like, like, the fleet mode, but just, like, all one map, where there was, like, I guess if you were closer in the middle, you could have more of a dogfight mode, and then on each side of the map, there was, like, a, a capital ship that you had to try and blow up. Yeah. And so they have that, but it, it's kind of more structured, which, it makes sense. Like, the people who are making it, they're, they're designing it in a multiplayer game sense. Presumably, at some point, they'll probably want to try and make it, like, competitive. Yeah. But, while I think I would prefer a more immersive, like, kind of, like, yeah, more open, immersive type of gameplay to, like, fly around in, yeah. I can understand why they make their choices to make it more structured and
0: and and segmented mm-hmm. well the thing that got me really excited was that you know at the end when they're talking about this fleet mode thing uh meet your team in the social hub so to solidify strategy yeah. <laughs> coordinate loadouts and prepare for takeoff and yet. then it you can either of,
1: uh star trek uh the star Trek vr game I played a lot. Of yeah about. but no
0: that, that that footage that they showed where all these avatars are gathered around the hollow net table yeah. and, like okay picture this michael yes. uh, uh, it, Come on this adventure with me if right, you will. Sure. Going into um, the
1: emerging, emerging Im- Imagine. I imagine this. It's it, a
0: it, Imagine this. It's a cool day, yep. and uh, we're both because pla- okay, look, we're gonna end up playing this game oh, together. Oh sure, definitely. Um, and whoever, I you know whoever whoever else it's is with compatible? us. Cross
1: compatible. You wait. Do you own a you own a PlayStation
0: Four right? No, I've got Xbox One. Oh, you sorry, Xbox One right? Yeah. So I, I own but a PC. I think I, they, I they said that compatible. it's I think they said that it's gonna be across different. Okay, consoles, if it is, that's good. Cause, yeah. Because okay, that's which is great. But anyway. Um, they were imagine like we've both got our headsets on and, yep. and uh, we're we're gathered around this holonet table and then we have to discuss what we're gonna do when we get out into the into the mm. field essentially. We wrap up the meeting and we're just like, okay, everyone down the cockpit, we get into our ships and then it takes off. If that if it's gonna be that immersive of an experience, yeah, that'd be that's something that I'm really excited for. Because just imagine once we get to the, the third stage, the flagship thing. Yeah. We're both in our we're both in our cockpits and we're talking through the headset and yeah. we're just like, Okay, Michael, I'm gonna go for the uh, shield generators, yeah. I'm gonna take it from down below and target yeah! and, and target the powering system. Like, just that sort of thing where yeah. you're literally oh, turning into I a cockpit agree. on your on good. your couch in front of the screen. Yes. That is something that I'm so it it it, sure. it, it gets me so giddy. That exactly. something that something That's like that uh, to be happening. Definitely
1: the most exciting part of this. In fact, just talking to you, you're, you're making me more excited. So yeah, you're and good at highlighting the, the the exciting things about this. Yeah. And then during that, I accidentally moved my mouse, like, slipped out of the way and I crashed into something. It's like, oh, <laughs> well.
0: because the thing that I like is that it, another thing that's going to be completely player-orientated yeah. is what fighters you're using in yeah. that moment. Because they yeah, were definitely. talking about the different classes that, they, that you're going to be able to use because there are going to be fighters for... Yeah, uh, for which, uh, I think it, it's
1: a good choice, but yeah. I do wonder.
0: The B-Wing kind of got got screwed over. It did, Well, because the, the classes that they're going to be using... Is uh, well in fighter class, it's Tie Fighter and X Wing, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In uh, interceptor, it's Tie the same, interceptor, the and same my personal they
1: used for Battlefront yeah,
0: and my personal favourite the uh, the A Wing, and uh, yeah, A-wing is for awesome. Wing model. Support ships, the Tie Reaper and the U Wing, the Ro- Rogue One's very own U Wing, yeah, and um and which is cool the the bombers, which yeah. are obviously the the Tie bombers and. Uh, and uh, yeah, Y Wings. Yeah, those are
1: really cool. The the three choices the bomber, interceptor, and fighter mixers. The support ones were the most interesting to me because yeah, we well, never really. The
0: support ships are going to be able to keep allies safe and stocked up as well as disrupting enemy fighters. Because so this is the thing, so... yeah, because
1: both the TIE Striker and the U Wing, they're from Rogue One. And yes. they're kind of meant to be more in atmosphere kind of ones. So the TIE Striker is more of an in atmosphere fighter in mm. universe, and the U Wing is a troop, like, transport, kind of. It's yeah. It's, like, it's meant to, like, drop troops down on the ground and then come back up, but they're, like, being more used as, like, more general-purpose support ones in space. Yeah. Uh, interesting. It's interesting. It, it is interesting. It would have been uh... funny if they had used, like, the uh, the one that's, like, Rebe- the Rebellion actually uses for, like, support things, which is, like, the... Oh, uh, what's it called? It's, like, the supply ship that's, like, kind of oval-shaped.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I am... Um, uh, <laughs> Which they
1: use in, like, every battle, even though it canonically never has any guns.
0: I can't remember the name of it, but... but yes. um, yeah, and, uh, well, I just like how methodically they're thinking yeah. about it, clearly, is because in these uh, multiplayer modes where you're going to get to play with five different people, mm. you can organise, okay, uh, okay. Uh, you know, yeah. Michael and I, we're going to be the fighters, you two, you can be the bombers, we're going to take for out sure. the this and that, and then you come in and just bombard yeah, it. Yeah, there'll probably whatever. be some stress and stuff that, for it. That, I think... that idea of being a completely player-orientated strategy game mm. is really interesting because the last thing that they talk about is um, you can either... Uh, hang on, where is it? At each stage, your squadron will either push the attack forward or fall back to defend. So the idea yeah. of me saying to you while we're playing, okay, Michael, we're a bit out, we're a bit outflanked here, yes. let's retreat and come back. That idea is really interesting to me. Yeah, them. that so-
1: is. I, I think also just... In terms of like the kind of shifts they're shown, I do hope with it, if it does, because EA will want to do this where the game Like is continues on to the future we do get more ships because one the B-Wings kind of screwed over two I think the Tide Defender would be really cool yes but I, think, awesome. I I don't know I, I feel like it would be cool if we could get like kind of more just like four ships on each side while in a multiplayer balance sense is kind of cool it's like kind of limiting in terms of how big the Star Wars universe is and all the ships. like also how cool would it be to get prequels like and fly like the N-1 Starfighter that's like my favourite Starfighter the,
0: the, the Naboo Starfighters yeah they'd be awesome they're yeah. very cool uh, okay, well, that more or less wraps up our yeah. thoughts on Star Wars Squadrons. I think that from where we are now, the reveal trailer that we have, um, it, it, it looks good. I'm really, yeah. really excited for it, mainly just because of the fact that I, whenever I'm playing a Star Wars video game, whether it is the first Battlefront or Battlefront 2, I'm always looking for the quickest way to get into a cockpit sure. um, because I just, I just love the idea of piloting and being in a cockpit. Mm. Um, like I said, I'd love to be a pilot if I was a Star Wars character. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Pilot and the is idea of doing it in VR is... Oh god, it gives me chills. Yeah. So um, that yeah, is uh, that that is that is um, a positive that spin is... on it. But I also do completely understand yeah. and share yeah. your reservations about the thing that they've done in the past, and like hoping, hoping that we won't see it again. Yeah, I think
1: I think we just need to you know just like be oh, like aware of stuff, and when it comes out, we'll just like like hear what what the consensus is, and if it's similar to Fallen Order, where everyone's like, yeah, this is actually really fun, we'll check it out. I'm sure there'll be lots of good. Good fun. Yeah. Um, that is Telling the Odds' Opinion on uh, the Squaw- Star Wars Squadrons reveal.
0: Yeah, and of course there's going to be uh, more. There's going to be I'm more sure. stuff released and we'll be able to talk about it when yeah, it does. Yeah, there's
1: like smaller things we can bring it up every week and then when it finally comes out we might
0: check it out to a review or something. Yeah. Uh, okay, next Next point. Mm. Uh, Ewan McGregor. Obi-Wan yes. Kenobi himself uh, was in an interview this week. I believe it was uh, with... Um, was it with Collider or maybe another website? Uh, I'm not, not sure. sure. But uh, he offered up his... Uh, uh, you know growing thoughts on uh, Kenobi because um, you know there's been a lot of unfortunate news about the fact that it's getting pushed back and yeah, that's mainly just because has, of... It hasn't started filming yet or anything. I don't yet. think so, no. Yeah. We do know that Deborah Chow, one of the directors from Mandalorian, who I have really gained an affinity mm. for after watching the doco series yeah. and just the episodes that she directed in general. Yeah, the idea sense. of her helming the Kenobi series...
1: Oh, she's leading it? She's leading it. That's great. That's yeah, greatness. because
0: something that I loved and we're going to get into this shortly after when we get into the doco series, is that something that uh, I loved about her episodes because her episodes were, uh, The Sin, episode three, um, and, was uh, that? uh, that was the one where he comes back and yep, like, he, okay. he, he has to, he gives up the child but then he eventually goes back for yes. it. Yep. Um, and then the second last one where okay. they gear up to fight Moff Gideon but it hasn't yep. happened yet. Yes. Those are two, her, her two episodes. Yep. And the thing that I loved about those ones is that they are, they feel very isolated and, um, mm. And really evoke the feeling of the lone gunslinger or this person who doesn't, uh, like a man with no name sort yeah, of thing. Definitely. And no one solidifies that like. Kenobi when he's on Tatooine Kenobi? yeah so uh, I feel like she's gonna do great but anyway um, what we're gonna talk about now is what Ewan McGregor was talking about in terms of how he's apparently way more excited for this than he was to film the prequels and uh, he said and I quote I think I'm gonna enjoy it much more the prequels were all blue screen and green screen and it was hard to imagine but nowadays I think things have moved on so much and I think a lot of what you see is gonna be what we see on set uh, I don't know if you've seen the behind-the-scenes of the Mandalorian series. Stay tuned for that in a couple of minutes. But they employ that incredible screen. It's pretty amazing. It makes you feel like you're in the place. It's going to feel realer for us, act- for us as actors. And I think we'll be using some of that technology on our show. Yeah. So the I- idea that they're going to be using this um, LED volume stagecraft technology is really exciting because from what I've seen in the doco series of The Mandalorian and how they utilised it perfectly, um, I don't don't imagine why you would ever have a reason to go back on it Mm. because, again, we're going to get into this when we get into uh, The Mandalorian doco series after this point, but um, it allows you to really be immersed in a place where you can't as easily go.
1: Yeah, like, you can have a smaller set to pretend like it's a larger area. Yeah,
0: and and the idea of um, this... This uh, this parallax distance thing that they've employed with the screen, yeah. you are in maybe like you know a circular set that doesn't cover a lot of space, mm-hmm. but because of the uh, uh, you perspective. know yeah because of the parallax perspective that they've adapted on this on this screen and the uh, like literally rendering in milliseconds yeah. as they film. Mm. The idea of doing that is so so good because what he's talking about here is that it's going to be a more a more immersive than a blue screen or a green screen. Could I ever agree. Be.
1: yeah. Because if you look behind the scenes of the prequels, it pretty much is just them all jumping around. Maybe one specific like physical object they're actually interacting with, and then the rest of it's all just like the entire yeah. background's just blue. I think mostly with. A rid with the Attack of the Clones and Revenge's I wouldn't know too much about Phantom Menace because they used a lot of actually they probably did with the actual actors as well look it was it was used
0: across all three films um, most of the yeah. some, some of them utilised it way more than the others did I think Attack, <coughs> Attack of, the of the Clones
1: was the one that used it by far the most yeah uh,
0: but basically another thing that I would really uh, I'm really looking forward to from this stance that he's given us is it's not just great for the actors, but it's also great for the directors because um, a lot of the time when you're make when you're using green screen, uh, hypothetically, if you were to take one of those scenes in like Mandalorian where uh, Mando's sitting on like you know one of those big crevices and he's yep. nursing the the child and the sun's going down and yeah. stuff, obviously the camera has been positioned in a way that his 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 mask and his interactions with Yoda baby Yoda plays off of the sunset and it yep. creates this really aesthetically pleasing landscape, right? Yes. Making sure that that's done well mm. is made all the more easy when you actually have it there with you. Yeah. Okay? When you've got a blue screen and the sunset is going to yeah. go in later, it's right? Like it's hard, wrong it's harder to do because yeah. you need to imagine where this sunset would go. But because it's already there On set It's so much easier For the actors And the directors it's So like If
1: you look If you look back At the Attack of the Clone scenes Like with the Jedi Fighting everyone Before they actually Put the droids in It's hilarious There's I know Swinging around The lightsabers it's a, Like, it's like, it's like a, randomly And then the animators Have to come in And put droids In like positions Where they would be Hit by things it's hilarious. I know
0: uh, so, yeah, I think that that is offering up a really, really positive perspective from, from uh, Ewan McGregor's words. Yeah. And the idea that they are utilising what worked so well in The Mandalorian mm. to Kenobi is something that I'm really excited for. And he's, he's clearly passionate about it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to have this... Like, you know, I mean, it's no secret that if you go back to something that's been so, re- uh, so revered by so many people, um, mm. from an actor's perspective... Yeah. You know... I wouldn't blame him if I started to get tired of it because yeah. it's not everything that they've done. Human McGregor has done so much other yeah. amazing work. Like they I feel... wanna get known for this
1: one thing. Exactly. Because he's done career.
0: he's done so much more amazing work like Train Spotting and Doctor Sleep, the Shining Sequel that came out last year, which yeah. is my favourite movie of last year. Wow. Um, oh it was so good. Seriously, I can't tell you how good that movie is. Um, if I was Human McGregor, I'd wanna get noticed for things like that instead of just being noticed for Kenobi every day. Okay. Um but the idea that he's still really passionate about playing the character is something that's really um, refreshing and invigorating to see. So yeah. uh, I can't wait to see Kenobi's return in well, his own series. I think if you're going to get
1: known for like anything, for being like the one thing you're known for, yeah. being Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars is pretty high up there. It's true,
0: of course. And it's clear that he loves the character. Yeah. And I, and that's why something like a Kenobi series is going to work really well. Like, he's not a... Well, you know... The, the, I mean, the good but sort of like played out example of it is Harrison Ford. Because yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford uh, He's a he's a legend of Hollywood But he doesn't particularly like Talking about Han Solo No um, So Because yeah He has
1: some crazy big characters Outside of Han Oh yeah
0: Yeah 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 Because he loves um, Not only does everyone love Indiana Jones But yeah. whenever he talks about it um, Harrison Ford Clearly loves Indiana Jones Yeah And much more than he loves Han Solo <laughs> I
1: mean my favourite character Is probably Deckard With uh, Blade Runner Oh yes Blade Runner Hell yeah, films, yeah. So.
0: You've seen Blade Runner 2049 right? Yeah definitely Oh, God, that movie. Seriously. No,
1: it's good, I think. But, like, the original favorite Blade Runner is probably my favourite film. Or yeah. Or at least in my top two or three.
0: Yeah. That's another thing we've got to do. We've got to do, at one point, like, just top ten sci-fi films. Not
1: just Star Wars. Yeah, we've got, we'll get through the whole Star Wars uh, thing yeah. first. Because, but...
0: like, something that, you know, obviously we've talked about Star Wars a lot, but um, we've always got an opportunity to branch out to all areas of sci-fi. Because, yeah. originally, the synopsis for the podcast was... It's not just it, it. It will be Star Wars because both of us love Star Wars. I but think that's our focus. There's an idea to you know branch out to other things yeah. like you know. Uh, I think we'll be talking about a lot of the uh, stuff that comes out of the MCU like later I'm in sure the year. I'm sure
1: when the world opens back up and the MCU films keep coming start coming out again, we'll eventually talk about them. Yeah,
0: we'll get more immersive in terms of things that are happening. But uh, yeah, that is what Gunn uh, McGregor said in terms of Kenobi and the stuff that they're going to be utilising and bringing over from Mandalorian. Mm. And speaking of Mandalorian, let's get into let's our get into uh, main topic of the day, which is the Mandalorian doco series. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, most of you... Might know is that after *The Mandalorian* was released, Disney Plus has put out uh, *Disney Gallery: The Mandalorian*, which yeah. is essentially so is it um, like a, like a series they're gonna keep eight going? eight episode doco series on the making of *The Mandalorian*. They sort of uh, focus on a different topic yep. uh, every every week. And this is the stuff that I really love seeing. Because not only do I love Star Wars and I love sci fi and I love film in general, yep. but it's no secret to you, Michael, that I love analyzing films. Oh, yeah. I love talking about movies, the way they're made, the directors, and their their path to how they uh, formulate what they're you trying to show. The,
1: why you love the originals so much.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Thing, like, I, I really enjoyed The Mandalorian like I And I knew some of the reasons why I liked it But after watching this It's just helped to highlight so many of the reasons Why The Mandalorian was such a good show L-
0: Literally The Mandalorian The show itself Is literally made better because of this doco series yeah. Because of the stuff you find out mm-hmm. And um, yeah I feel like we should just get into it because I because, uh, Let's just jump right into it I spent the entirety of the last <laughs> night Rewatching all eight episodes and taking notes So the first episode is about directing yep. And Um, I, like I said, I really love to to listen to and, uh, and uh, watch this stuff because like I said, um, Michael, it's like, you know, you've known me for a while and, uh, well, okay, we've, we haven't talked about this on, uh, the podcast yet, but, uh, I used to have a movie reviewing YouTube channel. Oh! And,
1: uh... uh, (laughs) Can I say the name or will you hate me for it? Let's leave it up to... Let's, <laughs> le- let's leave some mysteries. See, to see it. if anyone who can find it at home, send the uh, link in the chat, other uh, than the Facebook, yeah. and then you get 12 points. Yeah, literally. If you, you get 15 points for Gryffindor if you can find the channel.
0: If you find my uh, old u- move-reviewing uh, YouTube channel and you just comment on it, then you'll literally get a shout-out next right. week. 100
1: um, points if you can find my old YouTube channel... As well. Oh, God.
0: Um, but what I would do is uh, really go into what I thought about films and analyse them, because it's, it's one of my hobbies. It's always been a hobby of mine. Mm. And uh, watching this sort of thing is why, um, you know, a career in directing always interested me. Uh, so, you know, let's get into it. Um, yeah. Well, clearly...
1: This was a great opening thing. It was. Because it really highlighted, like, the, the, the all of the different people who were, like like, leading this thing. Like, of course you had... Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau, who were like in like fully running the thing and like yeah. everything behind it, but like each episode, it it showed how like like there was a, like when watching the show, you could get a feel that like some of them were more like tied to the main overall story, yes. but a number of them were their own contained stories, or at least even once they were all the same story, had their own unique feel to it, as you were saying with um, with the Deborah Cho's ones. Yes, and so this really highlighted. How each director was able to get across their own feeling of each episode, and I think that was a really good way to show, like show, start to show behind the scenes of the Mandalorian.
0: Yeah, something that was highlighted by Jon Favreau towards the end of the episode is how he enjoys. Um, uh, hiring smart people yeah. because, of course, he's the executive producer. He doesn't direct any of them, but he's no, o- he but he's obviously the overarching voice. He not direct and, any of them, though. but he wrote every single one of them. Rather right, yeah, sense. he wrote them and he executive and he executive produces them with uh, Dave Filoni and Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. Um. So he enjoys uh from uh you know employing smart people, and of course he has done so in a way that he can. Uh, trust these people to go off and do their own thing and put their own spin on this amazing world that they've created yeah. but also have this overarching thing that connects them all in some way mm. but so in a lot of ways every episode is is beautifully different but they are all uh, they, they all share a common theme uh, which, which is great and that's something that Jon Favreau uh, helmed beautifully by being the uh, basically the head honcho of this project, so you know Dave yeah. Filoni sort of spoke first about how um, yeah. you know his history in um, Lucas f- about his history in animation. So, with, uh, it
1: was great because he was like real different to everyone else. Yeah, like, he was just like up there. Well, it's clear
0: fun. that he is the. Fanboy, mm, he is the yeah. massive fanboy, and he shares that with us. and the And the funny story that he, uh, that he told about when he first started working on Clone Wars is how because there wasn't a Lucasfilm animation yet. Yeah. <laughs> Lucasfilm animation was created that for Clone Wars, and he was talking. He he thought it was a joke from the SpongeBob guys because oh, he because obviously he'd worked on SpongeBob, and a lot of the people who he worked with, he thought that the people who worked on him with that had put this woman up to, like, you know, this woman who's saying like, hey, uh, George Lucas recommended you. We'd love to have you on board for this Clone Wars um, uh, thing we're doing. Yes. And it was like, okay, did the SpongeBob people put you up to this? It's uh, so good. And it was like, George Lucas recommended you. Oh, George Lucas recommended me. huh yes. And then at the end, they were just like, wait, Wait, this is real. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm totally the guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he went into the fact that like no, I'm totally the guy. I, I'm making a a Star Wars costume in my garage. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which is which is great. I love to see him just like lose control as a fanboy. The SpongeBob people. Are, like, I know. Goofy, Did the SpongeBob brain. people put you up to this? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, um. another thing that is really clear throughout yep. the entire doco series is his fa- is his like um, the way he uh, you know just. Idealizes George Lucas. Yeah, he, he's a real. Every
1: f- time, like he has something, like they talk about all this stuff. He was like, "Yeah, well, this is what George said to me." Well, know? that's true, is
0: because George Lucas taught Dave Filoni, and now Dave Filoni is teaching us. It's great. And in a lot of ways, the entire time that you hear Dave Filoni speak, you can hear about how. He is basically uh, George Lucas has trained him into the master yeah. that he now is.
1: Yeah, he like worked with George Lucas like incredibly close on like all of the Clone Wars. Because so. and
0: the reason that Dave, Dave Filoni is so interesting to listen to is whenever he gives his opinion on Star Wars. It's not an opinion. It's yeah. fact because <laughs> because these are facts that George Lucas has told him. Facts don't care about your opinions. Because whenever George Lucas is talking about Star Wars, it's never an opinion. It's a fact because he's the damn creator. So up to uh, the point where Disney bought it, now it's like well, just that's a, that's, yeah. that's but I, I like, historically,
1: what like what yeah. like it's fact about what he thought at the time. But the point
0: is, he knows what's right and wrong for Star Wars, and that's why this uh, this this series was helmed so well. Uh, which is, which, which is really good. And you know what I noticed, uh, cause he, uh, he directs the first one mm. and he directs, uh, episode five, which takes place on Tatooine when he teams up with Tolo Calican and they go after that, um, that female yes. bounty hunter. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of the time in that episode, there are a lot of cool, uh, uh hints back to the original trilogy in yeah. just the ways that shots are set up. Yeah. Which, which is why when I watched that episode for the first time, I didn't actually know that it was his episode, but I watched the episode and I'm like, yep, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh Yeah, so I feel like from a directing standpoint, he, uh, he did great. Now we were talking about her just before, uh, Deborah Chow. Deborah mm-hmm. Chow was, uh, well, not only is she the first female director uh, to, to come into Star Wars, which is awesome. Yep. Um, but uh, a lot of her well, a lot of her episodes were action based. Yeah. Like, well, like we were talking about episode three, the, the Sin. Is really the episode where you get a uh, a lot of um, the physicality from Mando. Yeah,
1: a lot of a lot of her ones were like some of the ones that most progressed the plot and like changed what's going yeah. on. Yeah, like...
0: and that can be a big task for yeah. someone who hasn't worked on a high scale budget thing like The Mandalorian yeah, before. Exactly. And I feel like she what what she did it really in the well past before. I feel like she has done a couple of. Uh, I was googling it this morning, and now I've gone completely blank. I should have made it. Damn I, I should have made it part of the notes. Of the TV or so. She's done some TV, and I think she did some uh, some some films as well. Uh, yes. I I haven't seen any of them because I can't remember really their names. But I do know that she's a yeah. a fantastic director, just based off of the filmography that she's built off of Mandalorian. Yes. And something that she was talking about when she was giving her little, you know, when she had her little part of the episode is how she just let things happen. You know, there was a certain, uh, you know. Regimented script and like uh, you know rules to follow from the actors, yep. but there were certain instances where, based on what was happening in the scene, she sort of just let it flow. And they and if they felt that something uh, suited more, she would just let it happen. Yep. And I feel like that is something that you really need in a director. And I that's why I'm excited to see her helm the Kenobi series because Ewan McGregor as an actor, with how talented and yep. uh, and um, you know influential he is if he chooses to do that, I have no doubt that Deborah Chow will let that happen, yeah, so...
1: There's so many creative voices. I mean, one, we work on The Mandalorian and two, with Kenobi, that, like, yeah. like know Star Wars. They've been working on it for, like, years. And so, like, just to, like, let them, like, like know, like, to do what they know how to do. Yeah. It's like, it's a... You, you don't want to be too strict on, like, like, here's what canon cannot be. And yeah. I think that was... <laughs> there was a, there I bring was... this up every time. I think that was, like, a problem with Solo, where it was, like, it was very strict, like and don't let the actors just kind of do as exactly. they want don't let things they have to it happen this way and so it is good to like just kind of like let things happen organically and then just choose the bits that work well together I
0: think. yeah well that's that's a that's a you know uh, an example of another lesson learned essentially they've learned yeah. from what they did poorly in Solo and the sequel trilogy and they've yeah. uh, and they and they've turned that like in The Last Jedi no 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 I mean like that's uh, yeah. yeah no the, the the sequel movies themselves definitely have a lot of strong points but from a creative uh, executive producing perspective the behind
1: behind overall uh, there were things as the trilogy yeah there were
0: things they needed to get better at and I feel like that has uh, they they really showed how they've gotten better at that in the creative voices that we see in The Mandalorian because not only is every person involved a big Star Wars fan Mm. but something that there was very uh, it's uh, different degrees as well it's not
1: like not everyone is a little like nerd who knows all the details, no, no, no. Pe- and not everyone is like, yeah, I've seen the original trilogy when I was younger. And
0: there, there, there are people like Deborah Chow and Bryce Dallas Howard, and people who are sort of like where, where the, uh, you know, the filmmaking and the stuff that was introduced in the first Star Wars as well as the the sequels. Like, was he there as well? um, were, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, is um, you know we'll. They basically shaped how they act as people, but then there are people like Favreau and Filoni oh, who are literally just the fanboys, but are also really um, are able to deliver what they make in a really powerful way. Yeah. And um, what we were, we were just talking about the uh, you know people who were real fanboys of Star Wars from an early age, uh, Rick Fumiua yeah. uh, uh puts uh, you know uh, gets into that. Category as well because uh, he directed well episode two which is the child where he yep. you know does the uh, steal the egg for the I like Jawas. That one. That's a good episode and uh, yeah no that's one of my favourites and uh, he does uh, the prisoner which is when they break out that um, oh that one was also really do you remember cool. his name the purple twilight guy who was in uh, the oh, new republic prison I do not remember his name I know start- that one had Bill Burr in it it starts with an X I do know that yeah uh, yes yeah, so they had um, the
1: uh, voice of Mr Krabs in. yeah <laughs> they did Clancy Brown yeah.
0: Um, Something that I really loved about um, uh, Rick's time to shine in this episode yep. was uh, he loves making stories about people who rarely get their time on screen. Which yeah. is something interesting, because if you sort of wanted to put The Mandalorian into that category, he's a... Obviously, he's the lone guns singer and he takes a lot of inspiration from uh, westerns and samurai films. Yes. And uh, his way of injecting that into the episodes he did was, was pretty cool. Mm. And uh, another example of the ways in which he uh, put people who don't usually get a lot of time... Into the limelight Was the Jawas <laughs> uh, Now Bryce Dallas Howard yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard Who directed Sanctuary My favourite ep- uh, episode yeah, like Of season 1 of L- season the seven one.
1: samurai So
0: Yeah um, I think she did great because yeah. not only did Bryce Salis... Obviously, Bryce Dallas Howard, this, uh, the daughter of Ron Howard, the director of Solo, mm. um, the idea that she got to, like, literally at the age of, like, no older than 10, yeah. got to go to director's meetings with her dad, who was having meetings with, like, George Lucas and, uh, Kurosawa and so The idea of doing that is, like, it... Oh, God, it's... It's chilling.
1: Yeah. But
0: the idea that she said that she fell asleep was a little bit like, what are you doing? Wake up! <laughs> Child. <laughs> yeah, um... You know, it's funny how Favreau said that it was probably the most difficult episode to do. Yeah. So they gave it to the new girl. <laughs> the new person. It's yeah. so funny. Um, and something that was interesting that they talked about with her is that how she focused a lot more on the performances. Yeah. Which is interesting because I feel like this episode, Sanctuary, is... Um, it is very performance-based and a lot of the things that you see on it relies on the performances by these people because that's the episode where um, you get to see Mando have that interaction with that... You
1: get a lot of, like... With
0: that that widowed villager and her daughter.
1: We get a lot of depth into actually, like, less Mandalorian's backstory or less, like, his, like... Present and how he's dealing with situations, but more into his, his character, his yeah. personality, the like reasons what drives him. The reasons, to like do what he does.
0: the reasons why he subscribes to this creed. Yeah. The reason why he doesn't feel like he can leave it behind, even if he wanted to. Yeah. So that is very important, and it's why you need to have good performances from these people. And who can get these good, uh, you good? Get a
1: great performance out of a man wearing a bucket. It's like incredible. Well, that's
0: a lot of the stuff that they talk about in the next episodes. How they can get such a good performance from someone who never shows their face. Exactly. And we're gonna get into that when uh, Pedro Passos. Gal has his thing when uh, in episode 3 but uh, yeah I think she did a fantastic job now someone who I love is Taika Waititi because Taika Waititi is um, well he tells the story in the first episode about how he would never get hired to do anything so him and his his directing and writing partner had to basically put things on for themselves and like you know just make their own props and hopefully people would understand what they were trying to do so he really offered up this um, this uh, perspective of an amateur coming into a really professional stance because he went yeah. from what we do in the shadows to one of the greatest comedies of all time, Hunt for the Wilderpeople, to now bigger budget things like Thor: Ragnarok and Mandalorian. Because yeah, like
1: if you compare it to like Bryce Dallas Howard, who's like a great director and great actor and stuff, but yeah. like she comes from like a family of like directors and like Hollywood, like
0: she's a director, it, she's she's yeah. literally a princess of of, <laughs> of, of, of Hollywood,
1: kind of yes. Yeah, so it's like. Like it comes from that world, and so like Taika Waititi's the complete opposite. Like he comes from New Zealand on the other side of the planet. It's like <laughs> us making
0: it to a direct yeah. to, to a Mandalorian. As, like, to a, to be a Mandalorian director, as
1: younger, like was just like and like was interested in like art and like film and, yeah. and just made it like himself. So that's And hilarious. look,
0: I I just love the flair that uh, Taika Waititi brings to everything he does because uh, I think it was um uh the guy who plays Moff Gideon and I and I'm uh you know, losing uh, his name. John Giancarlo...
1: Like... Giancarlo Esposito. Yes, uh, uh,
0: yes thank you. Uh, yeah, he was talking about how a lot of the time when Taika's directing, he is incredibly serious and he appreciates the work, but mm. he's also very playful. Yeah. And that's that's something that I would love to see if I was being directed by someone. I would want it to be someone like Taika Waititi who can inject yeah. so much fun and humour to what he's doing, but in the long run really appreciates it.
1: He's so interesting in He's so quirky. as
0: well. God, I he's, love him. He
1: like... It has to be played He puts on like Such a like Nervous like Purposely like Un un Uncoordinated like Way of speaking about things Well he's
0: clearly Very humble (laughs) Yeah Yeah.
1: And then like Throws in just like Some like Very hard to read sarcasm Which is great Well the thing that I love In the first
0: episode Where he literally just Roasts the entire production (laughs) And he's just like well, to be a part of it was uh, really embarrassing. Really, I mean, yeah. all these directors—they don't know what the hell they're doing—and uh, <laughs> okay. like a lot of the technology, it was. I was quite embarrassed to be a part of it. Really, I'm like, I love you, takeaway TT. Uh, yeah. So that was a really good insight as to how the directors worked, and uh, the, yeah, it's good that the, these be... round tables that they have yeah. was such an uh, was such a great idea of how yeah. to to work this this series. Now, yes. episode two is very much about well the title is Legacy because in this episode they don't really focus on the Mandalorian a lot. Yeah. They just focus on what brought them into the world and what effect Star Wars had on them. Yes. Yeah, um, more
1: talking about like the, the, the what inspired the Mandalorian or like things before yeah. it that like led into it and so, like less about the show but still important as to overall how it was developed and like what went into? Yeah, it. Yeah, well,
0: some of the things that they really ter- uh, talk about in terms of what informed the Mandalorian about what Star Wars has done previously, and I think it was Pedro Pascal who said this, is that um, it's a universe that could be no like it could be no more different than our own, but a lot of the time it mirrors what it, what we go through as humans, right? Yeah. So it's a very it's a it's a it's a fantasy world, but at the same time it is about us. Exactly. It is about the human struggle. Uh, yeah, which, which most,
1: is, most art like is like a metaphor, or at least it's a it's a world which is used as a metaphor to like show something about humanity, to like yeah. teach an idea. And, that, that's and
0: really you know they don't just talk about Star Wars. A lot of the time, I think it was yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard as well up. as the visual effects supervisors that were sitting at the that were sitting at the table, like John Knoll and a couple of other people. Yeah, they
1: bring up Jurassic Park. They
0: brought up Jurassic Park exactly, and you know the idea of bringing visual effects because that was the first time that really um, uh, n- newly defined uh, generation of special effects was, was introduced, which is what in Jurassic Park, the idea of bringing dinosaurs back from the dead. Uh, well, you know, not literally, but the, the idea that people would see that and then they would have a, a really great reaction to it as, yeah. in, oh my God, I need to know how they did this. Yeah. And that sort of thing is what gives them their gateway into this, this career. Yeah. Which they, is also all
1: the special effects people, they all have that story of like the thing that inspired them to like, Commit to like the art and the yeah. of creating these crazy effects that like make some of these films like so special.
0: Yeah, and uh, no one, rap- it's one of the literally the best things I've heard about Star Wars ever. I implore you, listeners. To uh, just listen, to I literally uh, put it down in the notes as Dave Filoni's beautiful piece of word art, because <laughs> he goes, he he does like literally a verbal essay. It's like right at the end. Yeah, it it, yeah. It, it 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 starts from. Please check it out. It's from uh 21 minutes and 30 seconds until the end of the episode, where uh he he basically talks about Star Wars in such a beautiful way and 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 shows Anakin's journey mm. and how Luke is. Part of that, basically, a father and son story about how Star Wars is about family. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not like I literally tried to write down the entire thing, but it's seven minutes long, it's and I was in, and it would and I couldn't do it justice like he could. But you just need to listen to it because yeah, it that will. Was, that was good. Because you could literally take someone who doesn't like the prequels or hasn't seen Star Wars at all. If you just li- if you just have them listen to this little spiel that Filoni goes on, yeah. Uh, you will instantly understand Star Wars and why people love it so much, you will instantly fall in love with well, his so. role. I think, yeah,
1: it is it, interesting, though, just to get, like, Dave Filoni to, like, have, like, just an entire, like, basically, as you say, like, word essay or whatever. And, and I think that that was interesting because, like, his perspective is such a unique one to Star Wars creativity. Like, yeah. it's especially, like, the more high-production thing. It's like, this isn't a film, but it's the closest to a film, probably, they've done in Star Wars that isn't a oh, film. Oh, yeah, And definitely. so, like, since the films have always been just, like, more... Filmmakers—they've always been like directors or things outside of maybe George Lucas, who was more passionate about it. Yeah. So getting Dave Filoni, who's such more a unique voice, who has understands the wider scope of, of Star Wars as as it's like in its own sense. Like that's really interesting. That's why I think one of the reasons the Mandalorian was so unique and fresh and, and really awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, I feel like he was definitely like like we said the biggest fanboy on set. Like there yeah. were times when he was—I think there was like a clip that they showed where he was going through the props with. Um, with John Favreau mm. and he brings up a point where he's just like, in empire when like C-3PO is like, like, you know, and whatever he says and like, do you yeah. remember that? Do you remember? And he was like, mm, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Dave Filoni is so energetic about everything he sees yeah. that that's why he's such a great creative voice. And when he goes on this, like I said, beautiful piece of word art, a lot of this, a lot of, the, a lot of it aren't his words. They're George Lucas's yeah, exactly. words. And because George Lucas is bloody George Lucas, Again, yeah. these aren't opinions. This is fact.
1: I think, so I think with the prequels, while there are some criticisms towards it, I think the criticisms aren't, or at least in my opinion, my criticisms that I have aren't so much that what it was trying to say was like poorly constructed or wasn't really thought out. No, it was more that just it was like maybe not executed the best or, or it didn't come across as as clearly. But like. Like if you can view it and you know it as well as like we have or Dave Filoni does, yeah, and then you understand the outside what it was intending to be, it does enrich what is there, and so like in one sense it needs to be, like an art a piece of art should contain what it wants to say on its own, mm-hmm. but like getting that outside perspective of what it's trying to say definitely does enrich the original product.
0: I think so too. Uh, That's a good way to end up uh, to end the uh, discussion on episode 2, Legacy. Episode 3 is all about the cast and uh, well, when I say all about the cast they interview the main basically the three uh, um, Three the biggest characters which is Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian or Din Djarin um, uh, Gina Carano who played Cara Dune and Carl Weathers the great Carl Weathers who played (laughs) Greef Karga. Um, So... Boy, you've got a stool going. (laughs)
1: Sorry, it's a reference to... Have you seen Arrested Development? Uh, i watched one or two episodes. Very good. (laughs) Carl Weathers plays a satirical version of himself in it, where he's a failed actor. It's very good.
0: Yeah. Well, something that was... And you sort of touched on this, and we're going to get into it, because this is the episode where it's most heavily featured, is uh, Carl Weathers says, like, straight out to Jon Favreau, in pure Carl Weathers fashion, he Mm. was like, I was very excited to work with you, because I knew your work, but I always got to see the script, man. Yeah, 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 <laughs> That's what he good. said. That's like a direct quote. And, complete uh, opposite
1: to... Who was... Oh, complete opposite to... Uh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, yeah. Who He was like,
0: oh, uh, I'm not going to read a single word of your script. I'll just play Qui-Gon mm-hmm. Jinn. Um, you know, to each his own. Liam, you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Carl Weathers, he he talked about how, um, you know, he hadn't acted in a while, but he took one look at the script and just instantly, you know, basically fell in love with it. Yeah. And the main thing that he focused on is what you were talking about, Michael, is, um, you know... You know, he's acting off of a character yeah. who never shows his face, exactly. and that can be really hard to to um, to 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 get a. Because a lot of the time, acting is not acting at all. It's, re-act- it's, it's reacting. That's that famous quote: "Acting is uh, acting is reacting." Uh, you're playing off of what the person next to you is uh, is giving you, yeah, yeah. and uh, a lot of the time, you know. He's not, uh, Pedro Pascal can't give you a lot because you can't see sure. his face which so
1: works he, for the character but it's just yeah, it'd be so, infuriating for the actors
0: so it's so important to get the physicality of the character right yeah. and a lot of the time what they were talking about is a lot of that physicality actually comes in well lack thereof uh, a lot of it is stillness. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, of Mando stillness says a lot in, the, in these episodes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Carl Weathers, you know, he praises him and says that, you know, it was, um, I couldn't see your face because these two things here, the eyes, yep. uh, <laughs> these two things here for the listeners. Yeah, uh, I'm pointing at the roof. Yeah, these two things here for the podcast listeners, for all you know, I could be looking at the roof. Yes, peace, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he was talking about, you know, your face can be saying something, but your eyes can be saying something completely different, yeah. And I really love is. to hear Carl Weather's talk about that because he's been an actor for so long, yes. Uh, and you know, so it's a real testament to how good Pedro Pascal played the character, yeah. Definitely. Because well, you know, if you want to get into him next, uh, Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian, uh, well, his his voice is great. Really he plays it really well. Pick. He has got a really fun personality, and something that he—a funny story that they were telling—is how he seems to get injured on every yep. uh, on every set that he's on. But this one was was yeah. interesting because I think it was he was talking about how uh, <laughs> like he was makeup. he would gotten his makeup done for because this is the scene where they actually show his face yeah. in the burning, you know, when he thinks he's about to die. So. Um, so he's all bloodied up, of course. He's got his scars that they've all put on. They've all been put on on makeup, and then he gets out of his trailer, and then he like. Hits his head on like a piece of plywood something or something, like and that, yeah. yeah, and then it's an injury. Which yeah, he got a really bad injury. Apparently, like a head injury to the point where he was bleeding out of his nose, out of his ears. I'm like, oh my god! And then it got to the point where he was on set, and Gina Carano and Carl Weathers and stuff. They didn't even realize that yeah. it was happening because they couldn't distinguish between what well, the fake blood yes. and the real blood. And um, they were telling a story about how he needed to go to the hospital, yeah. but that, but. He was so professional about it, and he was so committed to the character that he came back right after and continued acting. Right, yeah, but and like
1: also at the hospital because they were like had to bring him there immediately. He still had the fake blood on, so they thought it was like his injury was like worse. That's right. Worse. Yeah, John
0: Travolta was talking about the fact that you know they needed to take him to the hospital, but because it wasn't just the real blood, it was also the fake blood that he had all over his face. They were just like, look at this man, he is dying. He's dying. <laughs> so they got him in instantly, which is pretty yeah. awesome.
1: I mean, credit to the makeup people then. Yeah, they made it did make it look like. It if was you dying. ever
0: want to into a, a, a hospital room, you know, in what, in, in no time that? flat. Just get the Mando makeup artists to uh, doll you up There's a little bit. There's got to be
1: more effective ways of doing that. I know. Um, now... Oh, God, the, the solution to America's problem with, like, hospitalisation or whatever. Like, oh you got to get done. And just make it look like you're dying all of the time. Yeah.
0: Something that was uh, brought up really interesting by, uh, I think it was actually Kathleen Kennedy. She was talking to... Uh, when she was talking to uh, either Gina Carano or... Um, Pedro Pascal, about yeah. how every Star Wars character has a silhouette. Do you know what I mean yeah. by that? Where yes. you can you can see them from like a mile away, and it can just be their silhouette. They're, it's completely bathed in, in, in darkness. But you can tell who, who they is, are. Because sure. because that's how recognizable Definitely Star Wars characters are. Definitely every original trilogy character. Definitely. And most,
1: most of the other ones. Probably.
0: I feel like, especially with Mando and with uh, Cara Dune, yep. they really achieved that well. And that was a lot in uh, part due to, you know, uh, Pedro Pascal and Gina Carano and we're gonna get into Gina Carano now because mm. she had a lot of cool uh, stuff to say yeah. something that was interesting that she didn't even know on the day that they were doing this you know round table discussion is that they concept arted Cara Dune's character with Gina Carano's face yeah. before they even cast her That's which great. is awesome um, it becomes a challenge from a performance perspective with a character that never shows his face like we were talking about yeah, definitely. but the good thing about you know Gina Carano was that you know uh not, not only does she have a history in uh, you know mixed martial, mixed martial arts yeah. which is great which is why they were all like so impressed when like you know there's that scene when yeah. where Mando gets knocked down it's just and she it's not picks a stunt double he like yeah. she like literally picks him up and just mm. drags him in and everyone was like whoa that's awesome yeah, he's way heavier than that. <laughs> uh, you know
1: so uh, yeah, yeah she, and, she definitely captured the physicality of the character like amazing well
0: that's another thing they were talking about the reason they that she uh, you know Uh, carry the physicality of the character is because of her uh, history in mixed martial arts she knows what it's like to punch someone for real Mm. but also to take a punch and how one would react to that so seeing that in the show was awesome Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was pretty cool, and she also just goes on like a whole like fangirl rant about Carl <laughs> yeah, Weathers Carl, at one, one point, funny. where she just goes on like a three minute thing about how much she loves him, which yeah. is which is, which is sweet. I like <laughs> the hear like new... Carl Weathers as well. It's yeah, because well, Carl Weathers is just sitting there like, oh, thank you, Gina. That <laughs> yeah, was very nice.
1: <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> well, They had a good they had a good dynamic. I I I like that because like yeah, because they were they were also saying how. Carl Weathers was like originally going to be less in the show, but then they brought him. Yeah,
0: back. that part where Mando shoots him, but the best guy saved his life because he's got it tucked behind his like thing. He was ac- he was originally supposed to die. Yeah. But Ma- but Carl Weathers enjoyed being a part of it so much that he was well they they, they kept him in. Yeah. The the good thing about Carl Weathers' character, uh, Grief Kaga, is that throughout the entirety of the series, he's not really the good guy or the bad guy. Yeah. He sort of flip flops from like you know the guy who's antagonizing, but also helps ends up helping them towards the end, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, no one. Could you know, uh, show that better than someone like Carl Weathers With yeah. you know, he's been in Predator. Have you seen Predator? I have seen, Predator. yeah. Uh, he's been in Predator and a lot of that cool thing where he's sort of played that character, yeah. Definitely, Dylan I... in Predator is a lot like that, Very yeah, Similar,
1: like, yeah. They're he's... like friendly at the start, then you kind of like he kind of betrays him and stuff, yeah. And then to the end, they like need to work together, so, yeah. yeah it makes sense, yeah. That was
0: awesome, definitely. uh, yeah. So I'm that's so cool. from, from a cast perspective, again, it was really interesting to see. Uh, episode four yep. is all about the tech they use, and we were talking about it. This short- was an interesting one. It was really interesting. I really loved this episode, uh, and we were talking about it shortly before with Kenobi, yeah. um, where they use this LED volume screen and this stagecraft technology to put them in, you know, these scenarios that they couldn't go unless they had a green screen on them. But they employed it in, in such a way that it is available on the day, yeah. so you can get better, um, you know, uh, uh, reactions from. The, the cast and like we were talking about with Kenobi and how Deborah Chow is going to be able to tackle this when she's working with Ewan McGregor yeah. they're able to set up their shots and play off of the the light the lighting and yeah. the, the shadows that this landscape provides I mean
1: it works so well with the Mandalorian because it's got such a shiny helmet like you do yeah. need like that's the, that's a problem that that green screen has like all the time It's like if you have anything shiny Then when you film it, you have to, like, remove the green because the green, like, shines through it. And then you have to, like, add in reflections, like, individually. And it's just a lot of effort. But, like, the LED screen allowed it to be a... Still a high budget show, yeah, but it, it, it allowed it, it to feel like a movie each episode in the way they could capture like massive sets which they just couldn't do before. It just made it
0: so that it was like they were there. And that whole For thing, sure. it, 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 like you know, you were just talking about the fact that they need to, if you're working with a green screen in post, what you have to do is a lot of the time uh, take away reflective surfaces yep. and uh, fix that in terms of what is coming off of a reflective surface like Mando's mask and stuff like that. Yeah. So, a lot of the time, reflective surfaces. Uh, need to be taken away, or but just in, or their CGI? Yeah, and they're not. But in this, not physical, reflective. But in Mando, they embraced it. Yeah. They're able to embrace it because of this new thing that they're using, which is just so cool, by the yeah, way. Very I, much I, I just is. love like looking at it. It looks so. I just want to be on that set. It looks I know, great. It would
1: be so much fun. Just I know. Like, you could like have a computer and, like control like the uh, the background and just yeah. like set it to like any. Well, stand. that was another
0: thing they were talking about with the game engine. Yes. Yeah, because that sense, they, yeah. they 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 uh you know compared it to when you're playing a video game, say if you were playing Battlefront two and you're in a cockpit and there's that part where they're like in an X Wing heading for like a best spin outpost or something. Yes. If you you know, you've got what's in front of you on the screen. But yep. if you decide to turn right in your X Wing, yep. there's gonna be a whole new array of clouds and detail yep. that wasn't on the screen literally a second ago. Yeah. So they need to be rendering new stuff Exactly. milliseconds at a time. Yeah,
1: and it's shown that like game engines have become like so much over time that they're able to become more and more realistic. And with this they probably would have like custom designed it for this specific purpose and had a very powerful computer running it. Where yeah. you can have pretty much photo realistic looking like backgrounds and, and models and stuff rendered in real time, which yeah. is just unheard of never would oh, have been It's able so to cool. Done, like like I, I
0: just love that they are using this sort of thing and the way in which they're innovating on what has been done before yeah. and making it so that it's all it's like a
1: really unique and interesting innovation. It
0: is really. Like when of. I when I saw them because they they show it in use. Because yeah. they, they there's like footage that they show of a scene in action. Once someone's caught up And they're, the actors are actually acting. Yeah. And you can see the screen moving with them. Because the camera itself is moving. Because the the screen itself needs to change. Mm. As the positioning of the yeah, camera moves. The angle needs to change. Yeah. Exactly. Cause, and the, the best version of that is in the last episode. When they were filming the last episode. And they're going down that huge tunnel. Mm. Because that entire thing that you see in the episode. The tunnel, the, the the thing that's getting further away, and the opening that's getting further that's getting closer to them. That is all the screen. So yeah. and and the, and the actors talked about how it was almost it, it almost sort of gave them motion sickness because yeah. they are literally because they are completely enveloped in a screen that is moving and it's in a such and and the perspective is perfect because the opening is getting larger as one does with act with with human sight. Yeah, but um, so the so the screen and stuff is moving, but in actuality. The boat that they're in and the humans themselves aren't moving at all. Yeah, which is
1: that'd I've, be crazy for the body. Just to it would be
0: really, really crazy. On. I feel like, it's kind of
1: like with VR. Yeah.
0: Like, well, Gina Carano said that it gave her motion sickness, and yeah. I can completely understand why. It'd be very um, unnerving, but a but a but a welcome uh, sense of uh, surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God, I love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. It also it also made me oh, think. I like that, I know. Clearly, you know... Oh, yeah. But, you know, clearly, uh, you know, it's high budget. Not everyone's going to have access to something like this. But it's like, have they just made green screen obsolete? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, that's the thing. Like,
1: it's it's an evolution of the technology. Yeah. And, like, the best parts of technology also, like, keep, like, parts of what was in the past. And, like, are able to, like, adapt with it. And so, like, there will be situations where it's just... To use green
0: well, you can understand why this is basically the next phase on from green screen because Jon yeah. Favreau himself says that the Mandalorian is the first high budget version, uh, high budget production, to use it. Yeah, definitely. it's literally the first time it's been used I th- ever. I think actually, I think uh,
1: there was a Tom Cruise film. I think it was called Oblivion, which used it in, like, one scene. Oh, right, Oblivion, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Out, out of a window or something. Yeah. That was, like, they used a thing very similar to it. Yeah. But and yeah, for this sure, is th- this is the thing that used it, like, this well, like, the, practically This is everything. the first time
0: that they use it basically every time. Yeah, which, which,
1: which is, you'd want to use it because it just works yeah. so well.
0: And like we were saying with uh, what we're going to be able to see in uh, in Kenobi, a lot of the time with blue screen, and, and Ewan McGregor even talked about this when he was asked, is, <laughs> um, you know, you're not able to uh, get... The best emotive response out of someone yeah. when it's ac- when it's not actually there.
1: I mean, if if you ref- change it kind of not to Star Wars, but in a similar vein with like Gandalf, with like uh, what's his name? Um, who's the actor? Oh, e- a- 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 Elijah McEl- Wood. No, Ian a- McKellen. Ian McKellen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he like broke down on the set of The Hobbit because he's like he's just acting around like fake objects. And I know. All stuff is like is not what he got into acting for. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's a talking to fake things. Like you want it. You want you want to help facilitate to get the best performance out of the actor and and creating a scene that like immerses them in the world themselves as much as it does the audience is a great yeah. a much better way to do that the best
0: example of what we're talking about now is when Carl Weathers offered up his opinion on it because in that scene where they're on the in the boat tunnel right so, hypothetically, say it was a green screen. Yeah. Right? Obviously, we know what it looks like in the final product. Yeah. <laughs> but when there are three different people there, yeah. Pascal, Carano, and, and, oh, and, and Weathers, they're like... Because if, if it was a green screen, they're going to have their own perspective of what exactly. they're looking at. Like, right? d- they'd be able because, to visualise. Because everyone's imagination right. is different. So, you know, Pedro Pascal might be thinking of it this way, mm. but then, you know, Carl Weathers might be thinking of it in this way. Exactly. And because of that, they're... They're, they're acting it's and they're reacting not quite up might be different exactly they might not be syncing up but because it be, it, it's be it's because splat, they yeah. are seeing it as well as we are they're mm-hmm. able to sync up in this way which is oh god it's so beautiful
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah uh, that sort of covers the technology episode I think so yeah. um, this was another cool episode I really uh, liked it was all about the practical effects that they used
1: this was this was really interesting because it, it, it did show there was a lot of practical and Practical does work so well when you use the best bits of it and then like integrate it and 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 uh, improve it with like more digital effects.
0: Yeah, um, because something that Taika Waititi says literally at the, at the at the top of the episode is he talks about how in episode four with R two D two and C three PO when they end up on Tatooine and you know Ten TV four shortly before mm. is um, you know. It was a world that felt lived in. Yeah. R2-D2 is dirty. C-3PO is dirty. So it shows that there is, you know, there's a history to these characters yeah. that we haven't been able to see yet. Obviously, we saw it later, but at the time, 77, they hadn't seen it yet. So a lot of... and yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was something that they really wanted to... Practical. Emulate in this episode. I, I agree. I think
1: practical, even though sometimes it might look less realistic or less, like, less real... It, even though it's it it might might be less realistic to what we see in the world, it makes it feel like the the story is real. Yeah. So um, like, what's a puppet? Even though it might seem and be very very clear that it is a puppet, it still makes you feel like the world is real. Yeah. Well, it, let's get into like let's, weird let's get into that a little
0: bit because uh, a lot of this episode is focused around basically the the. Well, the famous, the the most probably the most famous star of the entire show, which is Baby Yoda, Um, and they talk about how he was constructed and how that puppet is completely real and his emotions, the way his ears move, the way his mouth moves, the way his
1: eyes move. They say they do use CGI in a number of the scenes, but they're originally going to use more. But yeah, for the most part, it's basically
0: just the 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 puppet, and it's it's puppeteered so well to the point where people started directing the baby.
1: (laughs) Werner Herzog or whatever started like talking to the baby the the, the puppets I know because so good they talked about that I think it was <laughs> like, um, the, like it
0: was it was Deborah Chow who was talking about how Werner Herzog who plays the client uh, he was um, he he started talking to the the the, the baby yes. and pro- people probably thought that he was insane at it's that point so but his, but he has his little point where they it's talk like... to him in this episode where he mm. gives his thoughts about how um He's just so happy and pleased. Yeah. It was so good to hear someone be so happy and energetic about it yeah. that filmmaking and uh, just production in this, at this point has reached this point where we can have things that aren't yeah. alive feel so real. It's and he calls it, like, he, it yeah. bu- in his beautiful German accent, he says it's hauntingly beautiful. Yeah. Very much to my liking. he this does, does,
1: does it make after, like seeing the puppet and all the way it moves and stuff? Doesn't it make you just want to have like a physical Baby Yoda puppet next to you that like? I know. You it's know what? Cute.
0: I was I was just talking about this this morning with uh, a couple of other friends. When we go to Comic Con later this year, I really want to dress up as Mando. Because yeah. I've got a because I've got a a Mandalorian helmet at home, and I wear that Sweet. and probably make my own costume or whatever. And I was talking about, huh? Where can I get a Baby Yoda? <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that's beside I the point.
1: Could totally play an IG 11. I've got like the, v- the insane human proportions that would be able to do it. <laughs> Hell yeah, that'd be
0: great. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so, uh, and they actually got into a lot of the visualizations and the concept art for Baby Yoda. Yeah. A lot of it was quite striking because, yeah. because, because, originally grant. it was a lot smaller and cuter like some of it was too cute they said yeah. but also there was a lot of it that was uh, ugly for lack of a better word a
1: little bit too ugly because <laughs> yeah they definitely struck the perfect balance I mean they needed to like they like it's the perfect thing like if anything is gonna bring the fan base together it's an adorable baby Yoda yeah and they struck the perfect balance with it I think yeah because it was it was cute but it wasn't too cute it's very clearly Yoda and it's very clear Like, the species yeah um, and it's like got that like realistic Alien vibe to it, but it, it's still very clearly a child and a baby, and it's and it's adorable. It's a lot of its movements also really
0: contribute oh, to that. Beautiful, like th- there's a th- I remember there's a part that just like just filled my heart where there's a there's a clip. It's awesome. Oh, it, it is so awesome. All this stuff that you see where Dave Filoni is on the set directing the baby and the blue screen guy who's gonna be you know who's who's who's, who's um. Uh, puppeteering his hands yeah, yeah. he like waves them up a little bit and he moves the mouth or whatever and Dave Filoni's off to the side and he has a moment where he's just like oh <laughs> so beautiful and I'm just like "Oh, God, I just love yeah. to see such satisfaction in these people yeah, yeah. definitely uh, yeah that's episode 5 a lot of the practical stuff that we saw was yeah, small, small uh, was, thing, was, was, was was gorgeous because uh, like if we've got it in our last dot point there's always been, been space in Star Wars to mess around yeah they say that themselves there's a part there's a there's a level to which you can be extremely creative with all the different stuff that Star Wars has offered up to give you. So, mm. yeah, definitely. Um, um,
1: episode six.
0: Episode six. Now, like, I think we sort of share yeah. this mentality: is it's, that it's the weakest. It is the weakest of the. Like, I like all of them. It is the weakest mainly because it's the shortest. Yeah. They, they were sort of like, okay, we need to get to eight episodes. Let's just like split this into its own thing and talk about it. It's basically process and visualization, and basically they all the, the film. yeah, all they do talk about Not in film. this. You know, the the episode and how it flows is fine, but a lot of the stuff they talk about, content wise, is interesting because they talk about previs. Yeah. They talk about how previs was used, uh, you know, in its in its complete extent in this on yeah. this project, because a lot of the time, uh, you know, the directors Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, Deborah Chow, they talk about how previs is used, um, you know, sparingly in other projects to give you an idea as to how a shot should be laid and give the directors an idea as to how they should go about making their episode. Yep. But something that was introduced in Mandalorian and uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni talk about it uh, quite well is they prevised every, every episode yeah. from beginning to end. And they gave it to the directors, and they gave... Okay, th- mm-hmm. this is what we want to... This is what we want to show. Yeah. And then they gave that to the directors, and they say, this is what we want to show, but feel free to do whatever you want with it. This is yes. basically... Like, you know, you have complete creative freedom to do whatever you want with the scenes, but this is the feel that we're trying to, to, to get.
1: I think because well, it's interesting, because... I mean, Dave Filoni, who comes from a background of animation... Yeah. But, like, he would be... Especially considering dropping into live action, like... He would be in the background of like every single scene in animation is so meticulously planned out and done. Like, you never really wing a scene in animation. So, no. It'd be interesting, like, going into this, like, how he, like, probably helped to have the previous to know, like, what he needs to do going into the. I think that would be pretty helpful. Yeah.
0: Well, John Favreau sort of talks about how the idea of oh, the previous. previous Jon Favreau? Has has I mean, uh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. they, they both do it, so it's okay, fine. Okay,
0: yeah. But uh, one thing that John Favreau was talking about is how Previs has changed during his time as a director. Because yep. obviously, well, something like Elf, which is one of his uh, earlier <laughs> earlier films, doesn't require a lot of previs because it's yeah. not like, you know, sci-fi based. No. But when he got into it with Iron Man and then, uh, you know, uh, Jungle Book and Lion King, especially on Lion King because that was when the technology started to yes. get to the point where we are now. Lion King's basically just an animated film. Well, yeah, it is. But, um... In terms of previs, we're talking about here, yeah. uh, it was it was utilized well by him, and now he's just built on that and built and put it to a whole new level in how they use it, in Mandalorian, and something that was awesome that I saw them doing is they all got the chance to use VR, yeah, to go into the previs. How cool is that? That yeah, um, they used a lot of so they were literally that. able to step into the scenes and think about okay, maybe I'd want to you know position the camera here and like you know what angle would be best in terms of. Uh, how we need to play off of uh, well needless to say but Mando's emotionless emotions (laughs) yeah so um, that was that was really cool to see I liked that they are using new techniques innovating technology and uh, using these new uh, and exciting ways of making well it's not filmmaking but it's basically the closest thing uh, in TV that you're going to get to filmmaking like you said so yeah yeah yeah, makes sense yeah Uh, episode 7 now this is one that's near and dear to my heart because yeah. it's all about the score. Yes. Uh, I first of all, I love the score of Mandalorian, but who I love more is Ludwig Göransson. Yeah. Because you know what? I didn't even know that it was Ludwig Göransson until I later. I didn't know that it was him. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Ludwig Göransson is uh, one of Hollywood's most amazing composers. Well, he's Swedish originally, but you know he's done a lot of films for uh, Ryan Coogler. He did mm. Black Panther as well as um, Creed. Uh, he did Creed. Well, he's done every one of. Yeah. Uh, of, of, of Ryan Coogler's films because they were roommates at USC. They've yeah. been friends for ages. Yeah, he did Fruitvale Station. He did Creed. He's done Black Panther. Um, so he was basically recommended to Jon Favreau yep. by Coogler to do the themes for the Mandalorian. And the most, like you said, wholesome and refer- and and uh, you know fa- favorite part of the episode just to watch mm. was after he compiled the main theme for the Mandalorian. And uh, there's that clip where the directors watch yep, it for the, the listen the to pirate, it for the first yeah. time. To see their faces light up Literally makes your day Because they were so excited Like the face on John Favreau Like he's a He's a grown man Who turns into a kid (laughs) And that's something That Ludwig Granson Talks about When he's talking With Filoni and Favreau Is that The thing about The Star Wars music Is that it makes you Feel like a kid again
1: Yeah I think There's two main parts of it That I felt like Were really good in this episode For one uh, Like just showing Like the music And like playing it And like how it was developed I like I liked the Mandalorian soundtrack i didn't know i didn't really like listen to it too closely but it's really good and really unique oh it's beautiful very different to like the other star wars things but works so well and like hearing like the specific things again just flashbacks you back to the show and like the different scenes when it happens and that was really good yeah second oh sorry oh no no keep going the second thing that i also really liked about it was talking about Star Wars music as a whole and saying how Star Wars music is the one thing that everyone has the consensus on is that it is, like, amazing. Yes. No, no, I've
0: written that quote here. It says, everyone has different opinions... This is John Favreau. He says, everyone has different opinions about what what movies they like better or characters or lines of dialogue or storylines. Everybody who loves Star Wars, they may have their opinions about the specificities of it, but everybody is in agreement that the music is iconic and perfect. That was great. Mm. Um... And something that you were talking about about how it feels so beautifully different yeah. is um, they wanted to be evocative of Star Wars and what had, uh, of, of what had come before, but also create a very dystopian feel to it. Because literally the moment that he steps into that bar in, uh, you know, in the first episode, and it's that beautiful recorder thing that you see Ludwig Göransson, uh record live in this behind the scenes footage, but it's, yeah. it's that. <laughs> yes like oh god a giant clarinet yeah, yeah it's great. chilling it's great um also just something that i love that it's just it's like it's awesome it's not very like relevant to the entire thing but the idea that the theme that he made for when the best car is being hammered and like you know when he's making his armor yes the the piece itself time. is called hammer time, hammer time. <laughs> how good is that oh very good yeah yeah and uh You know, Favreau even says he told him to, you know, have fun with it. Yeah. But and he, because he knows how good of a composer he is, Mm -hmm. and he literally says to him, he wouldn't have been that way if well he, if they didn't like what he was doing which yeah. is which is true but it's also founded because he's such a good composer That's right. it
1: goes into his mentality of like hire smart people and just let them do what they can yeah you know
0: music is music's important because it needs music's to it's so important yeah because like, it needs
1: I've, I've only started to like recently understand how much music plays a role in like so much of the art that I love it's such an integral part to the emotion and the feeling that so much of the art like gives
0: absolutely because you know a lot of the time and especially in Star Wars yeah. I think I think Star Wars introduced this this philosophy is making the music a character yeah
1: definitely because
0: uh, it's probably, I think it's from
1: like opera or whatever but it took that oh aspect yeah, definitely. and like put it into cinema
0: because like you know in the scenes where uh, Yoda uses the uh, baby Yoda uses the force mm. like we're so often in the movies to hear that na na, <laughs> yeah. na, 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 na 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 cue right exactly. but it's you don't hear it in this, in this yeah. series it's different and it's welcome it's welcomely
1: different because I, so, I think that like if you were to have those like crazy iconic Star Wars things. Well, yes, you might get, like, the brief nostalgia or feel like, I feel like it would, like, give a false sense of connection, which I don't think the Mandalorian needs. Mandalorian is so cool because it's very obviously in the Star Wars universe due to, like, the visuals and the things in it, which you'll show, but it feels like such a unique, different part of the Star Wars universe. Absolutely. Before, and the music conveys that in such a different way that I didn't realise was so important to that feeling.
0: Yeah, because like we've we've talked we've been talking about it the entire time how Mandalorian uh, as a as a show feels uh, very connected to Star Wars, but at the same time it's um you know it's it's dystopian and it feels like it's a very like it's its own thing. The music needs to show that it yeah. needs to show that yes, you're in Star Wars, but you are seeing something very different. Mm. And look, Ludwig Breganson just puts it out there to a T. Literally the first dot point for this. <laughs> in the yeah, on the running sheet for this episode is Ludwig Runson is a god and he yeah. is, um, because another thing that was just awesome is to see him like at home, yeah, like w- with all his instruments, like how cool is that?
1: That was so good. Oh, and I loved his line where it's like, well, if you're making music for Star Wars, you want to make it with, or something that looks like a robot.
0: Yeah, because he has to go onto that huge yeah. like recording like you know thing that he has, and uh, yeah, that that was that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, episode seven that episode was great.
1: Episode Seven, I think that was. Maybe my second favourite or At least Yeah it, it was probably the one That most made me Look back at the At the Mandalorian And think and, and Pay attention to things I didn't immediately think Or pay attention to Yeah And so that was
0: really good Because the thing about Star Wars music Is it, it, it It's so beautiful That it does make you feel Like a kid again But it's also something That can really It's really peaceful can calm you down yeah. A lot of the time When I'm doing work For like you know Whether it be uni Or something else Whenever I need to feel like I really need to focus I put my headphones in And I listen to the Force theme Yeah Because it calms me down And allows me to think So I'm not kidding I do nah, um, And I feel like I can Absolutely do that For a lot of the themes That you hear in Mandalorian Definitely uh, Yeah And uh, now We're going to get into The, the final the... episode Now this final episode Was absolutely my favourite I think definitely by far It was my favourite as yeah, well Yeah <laughs> Because uh, they talked the, the, the episode's called Connections <laughs> it, was, it was just like, like
1: it was The perfect way to finish it off like, this, this episode encapsulated my favourite thing about watching The Mandalorian, where Mandalorian was a great show, but I had so much fun just, like, scouring every scene to try and look for all the little things you hid in there just because you know that the people that made this film love Star Wars.
0: And that is... I mean, I'm not afraid to say it, It's something that has been lacking. Yeah. It's been something that's been lacking a lot in I Star
1: Wars d- as of recently. I definitely noticed that with the sequel trilogy. Is I did like... They did create a lot of things... But so many things they did just felt like they were created to be based on the original trilogy, but they were like their own kind of created thing. Yeah. It neither felt like it was wholly original or a callback. And so this was great because it had both. There were callbacks to like fun things everyone loved at, uh, in, in connection and with the wholly original ideas in it which I think is really...
0: It was a very well-constructed amalgamation of those two things, like you said, and that's credit to Favreau and Filoni, is that they said, we can introduce all this awesome new stuff like tracking fobs and beacons and, and all that cool stuff but at the same time her remember this and stuff yes. and that's why they're such good creative voices and um, i feel like the only way to to, to really digest this episode mm. is going through everything that they yeah, have introduced because they have incinerator troopers from Force Unleashed yes. and they have you know that big E-Web cannon which was originally an empire the yep. shock troopers from rogue one death uh, sorry the death troopers from rogue one yes. um, but then and and, and like, like discarded costumes and suits oh. from the movie that they never Best. used yeah. but this <laughs> next thing is the most amazing thing i have i, I have seen in star wars so for a much long time i'm time into it as well like for so those many... of you who don't know okay, yep. there is a character in the background of empire strikes back when, when lando has ordered the evacuation of cloud city yep. because of uh, you know the the original trilogy's budget being what it was yes. um, there is a guy yep. who's running through the corridors of cloud city and he's literally <laughs> just a dude in a jumpsuit and he's holding an ice cream maker <laughs> he's Lives
1: um, through the scene carrying an ice cream maker.
0: Oh. Like it, it's obviously supposed to be like you know from the frame in which it's it's put. It's supposed to be oh no 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 this is a high tech piece of best technology. Yeah. No, it's an ice cream maker. Hilarious. Um, and they put it in. The Mandalorian. Oh, or they literally. So or, or they use they, it as
1: the Beska container.
0: Or are they, at the very least, oh. had a, a lot of uh, inspiration yeah. from it. it. because oh, Wilro Hood is so good. The thing
1: that's. Uh, this is the thing I love, because we love pointing out just like the obscure random characters who are in the background in the scene, who look goofy, who don't really have a part. Wilro Hood is the perfect uh, encapsulation of that. Like, one is from the original trilogy, which most of these are, aren't too much from. But like he's like got a huge fan following outside because of him and because of how absurd of a background character he is.
0: Well, Wilro Hood, which is the name that fans have given. I'm not pretty
1: sure that was the that is his actual
0: name. Oh, it's actual name. Yeah, that's that's fine. Canon name. But because it's got such a cool following, there is literally um, uh, you know events at Star Wars (laughs) celebration called the Running of Wilro Hood, where people show up in the orange jumpsuit and they grab their ice cream maker (gasps) and they just and they just. They race, essentially. A lot of fun. How cool would that be? It's also great, though, because, like, like,
1: Dave Filoni and, and, and the ones who knew about it, like, who was like, saying about it, and then the rest of the directors are all just looking at them so confused and, like, laughing, because it's like, what is going on? I know, because
0: they're just, like, the people who, like you yeah, said... like, they're being they lo- introduced
1: they... to the, the absurd world of Star Wars. Like, they fandom. love
0: Star Wars, but Filoni and Favreau are the ones who are, like, <laughs> who know the deep cuts, so a lot of the time when they're talking, they're just, like... Uh, yep. That that's that's great, John. That's yeah. great, Dave.
1: Okay, you're bringing up the strange convention with yeah. people running around. Because there
0: the are boxes. people who was like, oh, well they talk about IG88 originally, because yeah. for those of you who don't know, oh, IG. That was such an interesting thought. Yeah. Ig eighty eight was constructed from discarded parts yeah. of the cantina set. Yeah, you got the and, Ig Yes. Yeah. And when he was just like, oh god, he's not sit- he's not moving at all. He's so badass because he's so he doesn't yes. he doesn't even move. He's so cool and stoic. No, he doesn't move because he's bolted to the floor. So good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was awesome. And they have a good laugh about that. His things- head moves, but yeah. Yeah, and there were things that they were talking about how, like you know, they were you know they put just awesome new species in, like the Quarren. The Quarren hadn't been uh, seen in a while. They put the Quarren in yes,
1: there. N- new sp- yes, yeah, they were like that. I... I- The Quarren were like one of my favorite style species for like many years, just because I love like the the politics and stuff that happens in the Clone Wars, and so it was great like them talking about that and Dave Filoni being like, yeah, you know, I know a little bit about the Quarren, like I yeah I did an episode, a couple of episodes about the Civil War they had in the Clone Wars show that I did, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, because that's the thing is that uh, he sort
0: of like plugs his work. Yeah. He's like, "Uh, yeah, we wanted to put a Quarren in because by the way, uh, Quarren shows up in my show, Clone Wars. Please check it out. It's the uh, Mon Cala arcs. So good. Yeah, it's great. I love Filoni, but um, there's that part where they were talking about the blurgs, the, yep. the, those creatures that they ride, that Kuil um, uh, teaches Mando to ride, yeah. and it was like, so when did they first show up, and then the guys who were like, you know, casual Star Wars fans, they're just like, oh, I think it was, no, 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 it was the Battle of Endor, I thought, I thought those they were, those awesome uh, Endo- uh, Ewok movies. That's
1: the thing, I didn't know, I thought they were originally from R- Ryloth, I thought they were from the Clone Wars, originally on Ryloth as the no. blurgs. I didn't know they the Ewok were in the, stop Ewok motion Ewok film, Avengers my friend.
0: <laughs> um, that, that was new to me. Because Filoni then talks about like he took that one thing that was in a very like obscure Star Wars project, I, I think, and I he think put it, it was and then he put it, it in Clone Wars. Oh, he exactly, put it in that. Rebels, and yep. now it's in Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah and then
1: Favreau put it in. It, yeah, they used the metaphor as. Um, the older brother had all of the all like the cool like yes. action figures like the Luke Skywalker, the Darth Vader, and then oh that's part of the and notes s- yeah, <laughs> and then this and then your the younger brother the one making the Mandalorian. Has all of, like, the terrible, like, yeah. leftover ones. Like, your Jawas, your Ugnaughts, your Blogs, whatever. But then you got one Boba Fett figure, and you can put them in there.
0: Let's spy pa- spray paint them silver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, well, it's, 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 like it's, the I- it's the idea of taking so all the stuff that you don't see a lot in Star Wars yeah. and making them the shining lights of the universe that we want to see the most. This <laughs> is
1: so funny, though. Like, you've got all, like, the trash games, and it's like, yes, but I did get a Boba Fett. They've literally
0: made it, it so... And, you know, for me, it was Iwa's uh, idea of uh, directing yeah. has made it so that... We literally are now thinking. Okay, great, Millennium Falcon and Han Solo—they're all cool. Yeah. Uh, show me more Ugnots. <laughs> yeah, show me more Ugnots. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So moving on to the show next... me more life day quotes, sort of. <laughs> yeah. And they took those those characters and those and those character models mm. and turned them into the coolest bloody thing we've yeah, got in Star Wars in ages. my favorite
1: part of Star Wars: those little fun obscure characters. Yeah. And
0: this show was all
1: about them, which is why I love the Mandalorian yeah. so much.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know they they went into a really cool thing about how. Um, Uh, Oh, there's another thing that I really like, is um, that cool uh, troop transporter that you see in the last episode that the Stormtroopers jump out of, that is not taken from a movie or anything from canon. It is literally a discarded Kenner toy that came out in like the 80s, that was never used in the movies, but Favreau and Filoni are such awesome (laughs) Star Wars nerds and creative filmmakers. they were like, we are putting that troop transporter in.
1: (laughs) It's good they didn't put it in the other canon kind of one just like a bike with these huge wheels which just looks really terrible
0: hey wait for season 2 sure. I'll put it in <laughs> uh yeah and something that was uh really cool was uh they were talking about how the TIE fighter scenes yep. that Dave Filoni Deborah Chow and Rick Fumiyawa show, show up in in uh, episode 6 I believe yeah where they have cameos
1: that was such that was a fun like it was kind of different to like the other parts where we're more just talking about like specific connections to original things I really did like that thing how, was... Dave,
0: how Dave <laughs> Filoni tried to get out of it because he didn't want to because like uh, apparently he just hates to hear, to see himself on screen yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was like hey I have a flight I have an excuse but then Favreau texted him and he was just like if you don't show up for this yeah. you will never let you, I will never let you hear the oh, end of it so good. because they were talking about how they that when they when they saw the first preview of the episode yeah. um, or like the first cut yeah. of it when, uh, Favre, when Filoni looked over to his fellow directors and was like Oh I forgot They were about to show The the (laughs) X-Wing And Favreau told them Just like Look completely disinterested And bored That was the best Like the best part where they were saying like yeah just
1: just look like you're disinterested aboard," which like if you totally look back at the original like X-Wing pilots 100% they are they're just like yeah, because in just the context, completely casual yeah because it. well
0: that's the thing in the 70s yeah. they didn't know what the hell they were doing they thought it was rubbish yeah. so they are clearly not interested so they wanted to just do the same thing yeah, and yeah. Faber's sort of like taking the mickey out of it but he's also having a lot of fun I think it's interesting though because if you think about it in the context of the world that they're in yeah. these three X-Wing yeah, pilots aren't in a battle. Yeah. They're just a, on, like, a cr- Routine. They've been told by, like, their boss, hey, go check out this tracking beacon. Yeah. So they... So in real world, you know... Makes sense. ...situations, they would be bored pilots. Exactly. Which so is, like,
1: different to Rogue One, where, like, which is closer to the original trilogy in terms of, like, the scale of the battle and also the time period. But, like, in that, they're a lot more like, ah, we're gonna, like, file it around and stuff. Whereas this, it's, like, gets more of that 70s kind of, like, feel of, like, just this like, trashy, low-budget sci-fi film yeah. these actors are in. Not and to I mention, I really like that. Not to mention that
0: Filoni's character is called yeah, trapper, trapper Wolf. <laughs> Gotta throw another wolf That is a fantastic there. name. <laughs> oh, exactly. Uh, I, I love that as well. Like, oh, he loves his wolves. He doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't he? yeah. And you know what else? They talked about uh, the Darksaber, about oh, yeah. how Jon Favreau was pre-Vizsla in the Clone Wars. That was a yeah, cool little tidbit. That was a
1: great part. Yeah, I, did, I, I, I knew I didn't know that, but I thought, like, oh, yeah, because he was that character. It makes sense to bring it Yeah.
0: Uh yeah, all up, that's, that's pretty... Oh, and last thing, is that how they um, employed... Because in the last episode, when they have that huge herd of uh, of uh, stormtroopers that comes that up behind Moff Gideon, they were just like, bit. okay, we have, like, a good number. But then they called up the uh, the, the 501st oh, Stormtrooper was, Charity Group. That was such a good moment. I because love that. Because more often than not, uh, you know, when, when George Lucas has, like, a Star Wars event, yeah, or when he used to, when he was still in charge, mm-hmm. he would call up this huge charity group that basically... It's this... What is it? It's basically this it's like group a, it's of
1: like a fan group of people who've made their own armor and their own costumes, and so like collaboratively like uh, organised together to like go to different events and like all bring the costumes they've made themselves to like create the idea of just having like a hundred stormtroopers on yeah. the shot.
0: And the idea that they didn't know that they were filming yeah. the Mandalorian.
1: That was such a good thing. They they, they showed us. up and like, realized,
0: oh crap, we're going to be in they, Star Wars.
1: Yeah, like they've made a number of Stormtrooper things, but it's just so expensive to just make all of these things. So get the fiber first and it's like two birds with one stone. Like one, like you can have a bunch of stormtroopers show up who like know what they're doing and look great. But two, yes. you get so many Star Wars fans to just be so happy because they're they're like this is their passion and then they're part of the move that the of the universe. Like they're saying their dream is to use like screen used props and it's part of their costume. Everything they make becomes screen used after that. I know. Such a good It's thing. just so
0: enriching to see these people yeah. who are so uh, in tuned with Star Wars and love what they do. Yeah. To be a part of something like this and that is a lot of credit to Favreau and Filoni because they are that kind of fan. Yeah. And just the fact that they get to be executive producers is just a uh, oh, it's just a it's just a great thing. So and, I uh, loved
1: that moment. That was, yes. That was really. Sweet. That
0: was awesome. And I that, didn't even know. Like this is the first time I heard about that. I had no idea. But that but was so yeah. sweet. Yeah that was great um, and that pretty much wraps up yeah. episode 8 and that wraps up the discussion I think I think it was, um, a, good, it was a good show overall
1: and definitely the best thing about it is it made me so want to go. I want to go back and watch The Mandalorian now to pick up all of these things because yeah. it made me think about it in a completely new light
0: even just talking about it now I yeah. want to go home and watch The Mandalorian again <laughs> yeah definitely uh, yeah so uh, all in all I think that it was a really great uh, series I can't wait to see it again in season 2 hopefully they'll do it again mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and hopefully we'll see more of it when Kenobi comes out as well mm-hmm, um, definitely Yeah, so that wraps up the discussion and that wraps up the uh, The episode. The episode, because we've been going for a pretty long time now. We've had a lot of cool stuff that we've talked about. It was a good discussion, though. We got through a lot and it made us,
1: you know, get a new perspective on the Mandalorian. So hopefully you guys felt the same at home if you're still there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All in all, guys, thank you very much for watching. I hope you really enjoyed that discussion. I think we've had a very good uh, discussion and we've. We've had a, a good like two sided discussion in terms of Star Wars squadrons and a lot of the stuff regarding the Mandalorian. So, uh, I I think this will be a check us out. I think this will be a great the episode. Usual
1: locations.
0: Uh, yeah. Next week, uh, unless there's
1: something major that comes out like news wise Yeah. We don't have a we don't awesome have a plan things. for probably next week, probably yet? just check out Attack of the Clones. I think.
0: That would be awesome. Yeah, we could do that. that Uh, Yeah, so uh, other than that, like we said at the the top of the show, make sure to find us on any of the eight podcast platforms that we're available on. 12 p.m. AEST on uh, every Sunday. And as for you YouTube listeners, we are available at the very same time the next day Monday AEST yeah. on all of our social media platforms that's Instagram Facebook and Twitter make sure to follow us there and whether you're on YouTube or you're on a podcast platform any of the eight you can rate us or like us if you're on YouTube mm. leave us a comment or a view uh, if you're on a podcast platform and make sure to subscribe wherever you get uh, your uh, telling the odds fix and yeah. um I hope you guys have really enjoyed this episode, and like I said, the time codes for each of our discussions will be available in the description. Like Michael said, we'll post, like, we're, we're not entirely sure of what next week's episode will be, thank you but so we much might for listening. But we might continue on our Star Wars Skywalker saga retrospective yeah. with episode two, Attack of the Clones, because uh, I think we'll have a lot of cool stuff to uh, say in terms of positives and negatives for Attack of the Clones. I think so. It'll be an interesting discussion. Yeah, other than that, guys, thank you so much for watching. This has been Telling, Telling the, the Odds. odds.